So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have the words of eternal life. And we thank you that you have given us this word. We pray that now you'll help us to humbly sit under your word and to submit to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today I want us to think about what really matters. What are the things that really matter to us? Well, freedom matters, doesn't it? It's freedom. It's seeking freedom. That's why my parents, back in 1979, they escaped from Vietnam, from communist Vietnam, to seek freedom. They escaped as refugees, as boat people on this overcrowded boat to seek freedom. And we ended up in Australia. Why Australia? Well, Australia is the land of the free, isn't it? You know the words of the anthem, don't you? The first two lines. Australians, all let us rejoice, for we are young and free. That's our anthem, isn't it? Walting Matilda is not our anthem. That is our anthem. (laughs) And so in 1980, about 16 months after leaving Vietnam, we landed in Melbourne, Australia. And that has been our home for my family since. So for my family and for many of us, freedom is important, isn't it? Freedom matters. What else matters to us? Well, perhaps our reputation matters. Now, I'm not sure if you know, but in the Asian culture, reputation is extremely important. The reputation of the family is very important. And you may have noticed that Asian kids, Asian students, work extra hard, particularly if they're immigrants. They're they're forced to work extra hard, to study extra hard. I mean, these kids don't have a life. They have tutorials every night of the week. They have to learn two musical instruments. It's a sad life. (laughs) I remember growing up having to work really hard to study hard so that I could get the good marks, so that I could get into the, the good course, the good university, so that I could get that career that makes a lot of money. And that would bring honour and a good reputation to my family. And I sort of still feel this pressure once in a while, that my reputation matters. When people ask me now, what are you doing? What do you do with your life? Well, I'll say, I'm a full-time student. I study at a Bible college. I'm training to become a minister. Now, if they're not a Christian and they're not impressed by that, they give me some weird look, you're doing what? Then I sometimes feel the need that I need to also add, well, I used to be an aerospace engineer. Not just any engineer, an aerospace engineer. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, my reputation's at stake here, so I need to let this guy know I'm not a bum, man. And so for many of us, our reputation matters. It's important. What else matters? Well, our life matters, doesn't it? Our destiny. And we think about these things, don't we? I mean, I'm thinking about my life now. I finished my studies in one and a half years' time, and I'm thinking, what's going to happen? Where will I end up? Now, what church will I work for? Will it be a good church? And then I think about my kids. I think about their future. What boyfriend is Esther going to bring home? What girlfriend is Caleb going to bring home? Are they going to stress me out and drive me crazy? And my concerns and worries keep going on and on. There are many things that matter to us, aren't there? And you probably have many, many things as well. Well, today I want us to consider, amongst all these things that matter to us in our life, what is it 
that really matters? What is it that's at the centre of your life? So as we turn to this letter from Paul, this affectionate letter from Paul to the Philippians, we get to listen in on the mind of Paul. We get to see what really mattered to Paul. Now our passage today is divided into two big sections. The first section, Paul describes his present situation, his imprisonment. And the second section, Paul considers his future. He considers his destiny. So two sections, his imprisonment and his destiny. So let's consider this, the first one, his imprisonment. Now Paul wrote this letter from prison. And as we heard last week, he was probably in a prison in Rome. Now I'm not sure about you, but if you think about this situation... Does it sound a bit off for you? I mean, this was the apostle of Jesus Christ. He should have been out there with the people, proclaiming Jesus, preaching the gospel, bringing people to faith. But yet this apostle was locked up in chains within prison walls. He couldn't have been effective at all, could he? Well, some of the Philippians were probably thinking that. But Paul here thinks otherwise. Paul wanted them to know, the Philippians to know that even though he was in prison, even though he was in chains, the work of the gospel has not been hindered in any way. Rather, his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. And we see this in our passage, chapter 1, verse 12. So chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So let's ask the question, how then did his imprisonment serve to advance the gospel? Well, it happened in two ways. It happened inside the prison and also happened outside the prison. So firstly, inside the prison. Well, how did the gospel advance? Well, it advanced because those inside the prison now could hear the gospel of Jesus. You see, Paul was in prison not because he committed some crime. He was innocent. He was in prison for the sake of Christ. He preached Jesus. That was why he was in prison. And so the palace guards would have known him for that. He's an unusual prisoner. But not only that, though Paul's freedom was taken away, his mouth was still free to speak. And so you can imagine Paul just fearlessly, boldly proclaiming the gospel with every opportunity he had to the palace palace guards that were assigned to him. Paul would have taken every opportunity to proclaim Jesus. Now, One commentator describes Paul as having that lean and hungry look. Paul talks too much. Such men are dangerous. Paul's dangerous when it comes to proclaiming Christ. And so you can imagine that these guards who were assigned to Paul, I mean, they couldn't get away. They were stuck there. They, They had a job and they had to listen to Paul. And so Paul's chains meant that the gospel was still advancing. And we see this in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now secondly, how else did the gospel advance? Well, outside the prison. Christ was still being proclaimed. And Christ was being proclaimed by two different groups with two different motives. The first group, they were fired up to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. 
they saw that Paul was suffering, that Paul was all that he was going through for the sake of Christ. And so that encouraged them to proclaim Christ more fearlessly and courageously. And we see this in verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So this first group, they preached Christ out of goodwill. They saw the courage, boldness and faithfulness of, uh, of Paul and, and they seen how much he suffered and so they continued the work of the gospel. They served with genuine motives. They served lovingly, faithfully, wholeheartedly. And we see this in verse 15 and 16. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So that was the first group. Now there was a second group. This second group preached Christ out of envy and rivalry. And this group preached Christ out of selfish ambition. They, they made life harder for Paul while he was in prison. It just sounds weird, doesn't it? It sounds a bit ironic, a bit contradictory. It's like having Vegemite on donuts. It's off. doesn't sound right. Because these guys were preaching the sacrificial Christ, the selfless Christ. But yet they themselves, in their hearts, they were selfish. They were self-seeking. Their motives were way out of whack. So then who was this group? Could it be that they were heretics or false teachers? Well, they weren't. Because they were, in fact, preaching Christ. Their content was the gospel. They were real Christian brothers. So, so why then did they have this sort of flawed motive? Well, they probably were the local preachers. They probably felt threatened by Paul. They felt threatened by Paul's gifts, Paul's success, his ministry, his apostleship. And so they took advantage of this opportunity while Paul was in prison to perhaps tarnish his reputation and so made themselves look better. They were preaching Christ, but yet their motives were way out of whack. And we see this again in this, uh, verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. And then verse 17. This group preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So that's Paul's situation. How would you expect Paul to respond to this? I mean, Paul would have been hurt by this. These were his Christian brothers. He would have been hurt. Well, Paul could have lashed back out at them. He could have rebuked them big time. But in the insanity of Paul's response, Paul thought, my reputation doesn't matter. My honour doesn't matter. What matters is Christ's reputation. What matters is Christ's honour. So as long as Christ is preached... I'm happy. In fact, I can rejoice. Just think about that. It's crazy, isn't it? He's hurt, but yet he can rejoice because Christ is still preached. And we read this in the first, bit of, uh, first part of verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So now that was the first section when Paul describes his imprisonment. 
So as we listen in on the mind of Paul, what was it that really mattered to Paul? What was it that was at the center of his concern? Well, you would expect Paul in prison to be concerned about his freedom. He's completely innocent here, so he'll be, he should be concerned about when he'll be set free, when he'll get his freedom back. And not only that, you, you expect him to be concerned about his reputation. It's being tarnished here. But he's the good guy. He's in prison for the sake of Christ. These fellow Christians, they should have been behind Paul, comforting him, praying for him, encouraging him. But yet they were causing him pain and trouble. So you expect Paul to be angry, to be frustrated, to be bitter. But what was it that really mattered to Paul? It wasn't his freedom. It wasn't his reputation. It was Christ and his gospel. That was what mattered to Paul. So that's the first section. Now let's move on to the second section of this passage. Paul now considers his future, his destiny. Paul declares again that despite his seemingly hopeless situation, that he's able to continue to rejoice. Paul was confident that through the prayers of the Philippians for him and through the help of the Holy Spirit of God, that he would eventually be delivered by God. So Paul, he was confident that one day all his efforts would not be futile, all that he suffered all that he endured would not be in vain. Paul was confident that one day when Christ returns, when he faces God, he would hear those sweet and comforting words, my good and faithful servant. So Paul was here confident that it will turn out great one day. And we read this in verse 18 and 19. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. But before that day would come, Paul's hope now, his concern now, was that he would never do anything that he would be ashamed of. Paul's concern now was that when Jesus does return, when he does face God, he would not have to look back at anything that would bring shame and dishonor to Jesus. So Paul now wants courage, so that in whatever he does, whether by life or by death, whether he is released or executed, Paul wants all things to bring honour and glory to Jesus. And we see this in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. So what is it that really mattered to Paul? Well, Paul now makes it plainly clear to us in the key verse of this passage. Paul considers his destiny before him, his life before him. If he continues living, he lives for Christ. But if he dies, there is in fact much to gain. So verse 21, the key verse. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So what did Paul exactly mean by that? Sounds like a great quote. We should know it, but what did he mean? Well, if Paul continued living, then all his life would be centred on Jesus. That he will continue to serve Jesus, bearing fruit for Jesus in this ministry of Jesus. 
But then there was this other option, to die. If Paul was to die, if Paul was eventually executed by the Roman emperor, then he would only depart and be with Christ. And Paul recognised that this option was actually better by far and the option that he preferred. Because this option would mean that his earthly work would have been completed and that he could return to his heavenly father, enjoy the splendour and glory of God and his king forever. But Paul here was torn between these two options. He had a dilemma. It was like catch-22, but there was no catch. Both paths are good. I mean, to continue to serve, to bear fruit for Christ, that's good. Or to, to die, to be with his king, that's even better. And we see this in verse 22 and 23. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far. And so Paul's preference here, for his own advantage, it would be better to die. But for the benefit of others, it's in fact better for him to continue living. And that was Paul's preference now, that he actually remained in the body, so that he could minister to the Philippians, so that he could serve them, encourage them, so that he might help them grow in their faith, and so that they might be full of joy in Jesus Christ. Paul's concern here was not for himself, but it was for his beloved Philippians. And so we read this in the final verses, 24 onwards. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So that was the second section. Paul considers his future, his destiny. So as we listen in on the mind of Paul again, let's ask a question. What was it that really mattered to Paul? What was he really concerned about? Well, again, you expect Paul to be concerned about his future, his destiny, whether he'll be released or whether he'll be executed. You probably expect him to be stressing out in prison. What's going to happen to me? Will I live? Will I die? But what really did matter for Paul? Well, it wasn't whether he'll continue to live or die. That really didn't matter because Paul had nothing to lose. Paul had everything already. So even in the face of death, Paul's concern, what mattered to him, was Christ and his gospel. And tradition has it that Paul was eventually beheaded by the Roman Caesar. So Paul, in the end, did in fact die for the sake of Christ. But in Paul's eyes, that was his gain. So, so that's the two part of this passage. We've looked into the mind of Paul in the face of imprisonment, in the face of uncertain future. The central thing that mattered to Paul was Christ and his gospel. So now let's think about why Paul wrote this bit of the Bible. Now we have the impression that Paul was like this super Christian. So did Paul write this bit of the letter to show how awesome he was as a Christian? I mean to make the Philippians and us feel inadequate as Christians? 
to feel lacking as Christians? I mean, how could I ever be like Paul? It's just awesomeness. I, I, I don't know if I ever have to face what he faced. So why did he write this bit of the letter? Well, I think he wrote it not to make the Philippians or us feel inadequate or lacking, but he wrote it to show us what really mattered to him, what it is that is at the centre of his life, what it is that he can rejoice in despite the circumstances. And so he wrote this letter to encourage us as his fellow Christian, as we share in the same reality as Paul. Paul's reality was to live is Christ and to die is gain, and that too is also our reality. So to live is gain. Let's think about that. We who are Christians, we share in this same end as Paul, don't we? I mean, we who belong to Christ, even if we die, whenever we die, however we die, it will in fact be our gain. And we can say Paul's words as our own words. To die is gain. Those are our words too. And we, like Paul, have nothing to lose. So no matter what our end might look like, no matter how we die, a car accident, cancer, old age, even if we were murdered, it will be our gain. Isn't it good? Isn't that good? That despite what the end might look like, it will always be a happy ending for us who belong to Christ. I'd like to tell you something about Yvonne. Yvonne used to have this very annoying habit. <laughs> Don't worry, I've asked Yvonne for permission to talk about this. Whenever she used to watch a movie, she used to like to watch the last couple of minutes of the movie first to know the ending. And then she'll start again from the beginning and watch normally like every other human being. And I found that extremely annoying. Because when I watch a movie, I don't want to know the ending. I want to feel the suspense, the adventure. I don't know where it's heading. And so Yvonne would often spoil it. But sometimes it's actually good to know the ending, isn't it? I mean, you spend three hours watching the movie Titanic and the boat sinks anyway. You know, what's the point? And so if I may with the movie of our life, your own lives. We're the action heroes. We're the heroes in this movie. Isn't it great to know the ending? Isn't it great to know that our end will be with Christ? That our death is our gain? That we will spend eternity with our Lord Jesus playing basketball with Paul? That will be awesome. So if that is our perspective on life and death, that the end is in fact our gain, then why wouldn't we be like Paul? He sounds great, but yet he's just a Christian. And we're just a Christian as well. Why wouldn't we live courageously, fearlessly, centred on Christ and his gospel, just like Paul? Why wouldn't we also say Paul's words as our own words? To live is Christ. You see, Christ should matter a lot. Christ should matter more than our freedom, more than our reputation, more than even our destiny, our life and our death. So let's consider this. Christ should matter more than our freedom. I mean, escaping Vietnam was a great thing. 
We love being in this country. It's great to enjoy the freedom in this country. But yet, missionaries would forego this freedom and go back to Vietnam. One of my friends who finished Bible college a couple of years ago, he was considering returning to Vietnam. He was considering foregoing his freedom, his safety here in Australia, returning to a country where Christians are persecuted. And so let me ask you, you might not need to go to Vietnam, but what are the things that you would forego for the sake of Christ? Time and money to go on short-term missions, just like some of our brothers here, or long-term missions? Time and effort to show love and hospitality to your Christian church family? Perhaps time and energy taken out of your week to teach scripture? Probably foregoing your career, going to Bible college to be equipped so that you can be better equipped to serve the people of God. Now let's consider our reputation. Christ should be more important than our reputation. I mean, who cares that I worked as an aerospace engineer? Who really cares that I have a degree? Big deal, man. Big deal. What should really matter is the honour and reputation of Jesus, not mine. And so let me ask you, is your reputation more important than Christ? So when the opportunity comes, tomorrow when you go back to work, when you go to school, when you meet your distant relatives, when you see your neighbour, when the opportunity comes to explain the gospel, to tell them that you're a Christian, to tell them you had an awesome day on Sunday when you heard the word of God preached. Not, not this Sunday, maybe next Sunday when Jeff's preaching. <laughs> if you have the opportunity, will you shy away from it? Will you feel ashamed? Will you be embarrassed? I mean, what do you have to lose anyway? You've got nothing to lose, even if you were to die. So is Christ more important than your reputation? Now let's consider our destiny. Is Christ more important than our destiny? Does your destiny matter more than Jesus? Is your life filled with all concerns and worries that, that have nothing to do with Jesus? Or is your life centred on Jesus and his gospel? Now this does not mean that we all become missionaries, though that would be a great thing. This also does not mean that only missionaries live a Christ-centred life. In fact, all Christians should be living this life. You and me. We should all be living a Christ-centred life. We may never face the prison of Paul. We may never face the hardship and opposition of Paul. But you know what? We face lost souls every day. We face people who live life without hope, a life without peace, a life without the loving knowledge of the gracious God, and a life without that comforting end like ours. So shouldn't we live this courageous, fearless life centred on Christ and his gospel? That should shape our whole lives, how we spend our time, how we use our money, who we live for. And so when we share the gospel, we've got nothing to lose. We really have nothing to lose. 
But that person has everything to gain. So is Christ more important than your life? So what is it that really matters to you? Are Paul's words your words too? To live is Christ and to die is gain? Now I'd like to share with you a story of a guy who really understood this saying, this verse. He really understood what it meant that Christ should be more important than his, than his freedom, than his reputation, than his destiny. His name was John Payton. This guy lived in the 1800s in Scotland. And when he planned on going as a missionary to the South Pacific, he was warned by a friend. He said, you'll be eaten by cannibals. To this, Peyton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honouring Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. So John Patanier recognised that it didn't matter how he died. His death was his gain. He understood that verse. For he will be resurrected and be with Christ. And his story is truly an amazing one. In 1858, he married his wife Mary. And only 14 days later, they set sail for the South Pacific. I mean, just imagine that. Their honeymoon was to the South Pacific, filled with cannibals who, who were, were going to might kill them. That was their honeymoon. <laughs> but they went there to proclaim Christ. Now, it took them almost seven months to arrive on this island. Three months after arriving on this island, their son Peter was born. But only 19 days after the birth of this son, Mary died from a fever. And she was followed quickly to the grave by this newly born son, Peter, at 36 days of age. Despite, despite this tremendous hardship and the many attempts by, by those tribes there to kill him, Patton continued unfailingly with his missionary work. He learned the language there, and he translated and printed the scriptures in their language. He converted the locals, and he trained them up so that he could send them out to the villages to proclaim Jesus. And then many, after many, many years of faithful, hard-working service, the entire island of Anua professed Christianity. This was a man who understood what it meant by to live is Christ and to die is gain. What mattered to him was Christ and his gospel. And so, what is it that really matters to you? Why don't I pray now and help God, ask God to help us think about this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these words of Paul, which encourages us to live courageously and fearlessly for Christ. And so we ask you, Lord, that you help us to see and to live a life where Christ is more important than our freedom, than our reputation and our destiny. 
we pray that you'll help us to say Paul's words as our own and mean it, to live his Christ and to die his gain. Amen.